Friday. Now we're supposed to uh, do a Bible study. And I'm ready. We have been discussing uh, angels, uh, demons, and Satan. That's been the series. We will conclude it this evening if I hurry up. And uh, not next week, because next week we have a special program. Uh, Matt Setliff, our student minister, and our students are going to pour out their hearts before us. Don't miss it. They have things to say. Then on the 31st, we'll start a new series, uh, Lord willing, on the church. What is it about? And all the rest. Uh, and so for tonight, let's conclude this series on angels and Satan and demons. And of course, I, I think you know they're real. They're a, a spiritual reality behind the physical reality. But aren't you finding as you grow in Christ that the spiritual reality as it affects your life is perhaps even more real than physical realities? We really can't deny what's happening behind the Scenes. And so here's a spiritual reality. If you are a Christ follower, uh, you, you are in a war. I, I don't know if you know this, but if you're a Christ follower, uh, this is a spiritual reality. You are in a spiritual war. And since that's the case, you and I need spiritual resources to win it. So that's what we'll talk about tonight, winning the war. And so to do so, let me just call your attention to a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's Ephesians chapter 6. Who wrote it? Do you remember? Yeah, Paul wrote it to Christians at a place called Ephesus, which would be in what modern-day country? Turkey. Has anyone here ever been to Ephesus? I'm just... Yeah, it's a real place. This is not a fable that we're talking about. Paul had lots to say to the people there. These are some of his concluding remarks. Ephesians chapter 6, take a peek at verse 10. He says, finally, be strong. You know, trust me on this, in the actual Greek verb tense, you know what it says? Be strengthened. That's different. Be strong means do it yourself. Be strong, be tough. That's a load when you're feeling weak. I really, therefore, love the uh, original language and the verb tense, which uh, sort of puts us in the passive role. No, you can't be strong yourself. Be instead strengthened. How? In the Lord. The relationship strengthens weak followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only are we to be strengthened in the Lord, but also in the strength of his might. Wow. He tells us something, does Paul, right at the beginning. We really need outside help in order to win the spiritual battle, which we are embroiled in, whether we admit it or not. Satan is a strong enemy. We are not his equal. Did you know that? He's not to be underestimated. Let's not be so self-assured and think we can confront him. We cannot, but we can stand firm against him by doing what Paul says. Allow yourself to be strengthened in the relationship you have with Almighty God and in the strength of his might. How do you do it? Verse 11, put on the full 
arm, you cannot leave any ingredient in it out. Everything is essential. Put on the full armor of yourself. No, of God. Don't you see it? It isn't your armor, nor is it mine. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to, what does your Bible say there? You got it? Stand firm. Mine is up on the screen. Can you take note of the number of times in this text as we go on? It says, stand firm. Here's the first one. Stand firm, it says. Against what? The schemes of the devil. He's not only really powerful as we spoke, he's also quite deceptive and devious. He's a schemer, you see? And so you can't see deception coming at you by definition. It deceives you. But there's a way to stand strong even against the devious schemes of the devil, and that is to put on the full armor of God. Why? Verse 12, we see our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. You know, I, I make the mistake of watching the news. It's a big mistake. It's a recipe for depression. And I... I'm, you know, I'm just going to turn to American Idol instead. <laughs> this pumps you up. Anyway, uh, so you watch the news and you read about world's leaders and some in particular, they're, uh, they're just terrible. They're up to no good. I mean, we let one into our country and spoke at a major university and he wants to destroy our system and, you know, I mean, and it just, uh, you know, the whole hypocrisy and inconsistency. I mean, it just gets me so mad. I want to I wanna have just a few minutes with this guy. He's small. I can take him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then, and, then, uh, and then I read, boy, that's the trouble with Bible study. It just makes you change. Then I read, you know, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Oh, no. It's against rulers, against powers, sure. Against world forces of this darkness, against, look, spiritual forces of wickedness. Where are they? What country? No, no, in the heavenly places. So then I say, oh, God. Uh, I, got, I got to exercise spiritual warfare against spiritual uh, enemies. And so, so my struggle, our struggle is not against people. It is against Satan who controls people. See the difference? So what is our response to people? To be living proof of a loving God. It must be that way. And then we learn how to pray against all of these spiritual entities whose command posts are in the heavenly places. And so the battle is spiritual because the enemy is a spirit being. And he, the enemy's intent is to rob us of spiritual blessings. And therefore, our only hope is spiritual weaponry. See? Therefore, verse 13, take up the, here it says again, full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and that's when the evil one comes against you. And having done everything to, what does it say? So that's the second time, if I'm correct, right? Verse 11 said, stand firm. Now verse 13, stand. keep it in mind because there's something I want to say about that. So God has provided the armor. You don't have to fabricate it. All you got to do is, 
All we have to do is put it on every day in its fullness, it says. And now here's the armor, verse 14. Stand firm. So how many times now are we on stand firm? Yeah, well, three times. Just a little principle of Bible study. If something's repeated, it's important because God doesn't waste words. He's not wordy like me or others. He, what he says, this is, there's no fat in the Bible. Everything is like real important. You know what I mean? So if he says stand firm three times, file it away. That's important. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. The battle is spiritual, but Paul, who's writing to us now, is describing the weaponry and spiritual, uh, that we need for the spiritual battle in physical terms. And you know why? I think he was involved at the time of the writing of this in his own spiritual battle. You know where he was? He was in jail. He was imprisoned for the gospel. He was in waiting, awaiting trial uh, in Rome. And while there, he was chained, who do you think? To a Roman soldier. And I could see him in the midst and in the depth of his spiritual battle, taking a gander at the weaponry, which this Roman soldier was bedecked with and translating it to a real spiritual reality. And so he speaks about first weapon, girding up your loins. Because every Roman soldier, the first thing they did, they had kind of a belt and they would put it around them. You hang weapons on it. But also it was the thing to kind of pull together their clothing so that they could move about freely in battle. They wouldn't trip over anything. This was the first thing they put on. And so Paul says, gird your loins with truth. What does that mean? I don't think doctrinal truth in whole, although this surely is important, doctrinal truth. I think it means being true in all of your parts. It means your public life is consistent with your private life and your private life is consistent with your public life. It means you're true. Uh, to what you say. It means your walk matches your talk. It means you got nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to hide. You see, that stuff slows you down in life, trips you up. But when you guard yourself with the belt of truth, you got nothing to be ashamed about. And not only that, the enemy can't get to you. He's an accuser of the brethren. What's he going to accuse you about if you're blameless? Integrity means harmony in the parts. You can't show up at church and sing glorious songs and then go home and beat your wife. That doesn't fly. It does fly in the face of truth. And when it does, I'm telling you, you're opening yourself up to be tormented by the evil one. You're giving him territory. He found an opening in your integrity. It's disintegrated. It's fractured. You see, you can't move freely about life because you're laden with guilt and shame. Secrecy. You don't want people to catch up with your private life. Come on, don't live like that. It takes too much energy to have this disharmony in your parts. So what you say, do. What you believe, act out. Let there be a measure of integrity. Related to it is that second weapon, breastplate of righteousness. The Roman soldier would put this on to protect his heart from enemy attack. This is a breastplate of righteousness. Living rightly in light of the fact that we already have right standing with God. You're not righteous, neither am I. The Lord Jesus is. We've taken on his righteousness. I have right standing with God, so do you, through the Lord Jesus. Now that we have right standing, our lives have to be about right living. 
And if you're not living rightly, you expose your heart to an enemy attack. This is why God hates it when we sin. He doesn't hate us when we sin. Don't you see? He loves us. He paid the ultimate price. Are you forgetting what happened on the cross? He hates it, however, when we sin because though he's given us victory, we're giving up territory to the enemy every time we transgress, every time we live unrighteously. We're opening ourselves up to enemy attack. And so uh, Paul speaks about girding up our loins and taking on the breastplate. And then verse 15, something for feet. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers, you know, they wore sandals. And you slip and slide with sandals unless you, you, you drive a nail through them. And, and Roman soldiers would be quite creative in putting protrusions on the bottom of their sandals so that they could stand firm in the battle. You see, they wouldn't slip and slide. And Paul is saying, I'll, I'll tell you how you can stand firm. Uh, 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 put on the, the gospel, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Does that mean sharing the gospel? It surely could, but I don't think so here. What's the gospel of peace? It's good news that if you are a Christian, you are not at odds with God anymore. That's good news. That means God is not your enemy. This is the gospel of shalom. This is the gospel of peace. Put it on every day. I know where I stand with God, do you? Why not? You could. And every day you get up and you're accused and maybe the enemy... Uh, 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 makes you feel horrible about yourself or someone else does, and you begin to cave in, and you prepare yourself for that onslaught with the gospel of peace. Listen, I love this song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I'm not having any doubts about it, are you? It's the gospel of peace. How do you get peace? By being a good guy? Oh, no. Through the prince of peace, you get Shalom by knowing the Sar Shalom. Jesus is the Sar Shalom. That means the Prince of Peace. It's a weapon you put on. You take it up every day. And you say, I'm not starting the day as an enemy of God, as, as if God is out to get me. I'm his kid. He forgave me. He cleansed me. I'm adopted into his family. He shall never let me go. Even when sometimes I drift from him, his eye is upon me and he yearns for me to return into intimate fellowship with him. This is the gospel of shalom, of peace. There's no hostility between a Christ follower and almighty God because the Christ follower is okay with God through Christ who is the mediator. This is an important weapon. Verse 16, in addition to all this, Take up the shield. Oh, yeah, you need a shield. Romans had a big shield. It was made out of wood, covered in leather, often doused in water. You know why? To extinguish flaming arrows. Paul says, you need one to win the spiritual battle. You need a shield, but in this case, it's the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Here are his arrows. God no longer loves you. Here are his arrows. God's not really in control, is he? 
Here are his arrows. God can't be good. You're not in a good situation. You're in pain. Here are his arrows. God doesn't care about you. Look at your life circumstance. Look at it. Folks, the shield of faith, when taken up, reminds the believer those circumstances may change. The character of our Father remains the same. I may not like the circumstances, mostly don't understand the circumstances, in fact, may be pained by the circumstances. All oh, this is true, but what is not true is all that other insinuation. Therefore, God has abandoned me. Therefore, God has left me. Listen, in Hebrew, we have a word, eben etzer. Boy, this is like uh, synagogue stuff tonight, isn't it? Eben etzer. Have you ever heard of Ebenezer, the word? like Ebenezer Baptist Church. It's Eben Etzer. It's a Hebrew word. And it means stone of help. Samuel set it up for the people in the Old Covenant. And when he set it up, it was a reminder to ancient Israel, thus far the Lord has been our stone, our rock of help, Eben Etzer. I'm going to be 58 years old in November. Don't worry, I'll remind you. Because last year you forgot my birthday. and No, I'm kidding. So, so, so here's the deal. I can tell you this. I don't know what's going to happen to me at 59. I don't have any idea. But, but, but uh, did I get it right? 50, 58. Yeah. No, I know, I know. But I meant when I'm 59, a year down the road, I don't know what's going to be. Yeah. Another illustration why women should be quiet in church. I just... Yeah. So anyway... I need a ride home. So anyway, so, but, but I know this. As I approach 58, as I approach 58, I can tell you this. Eben, it's there. I don't know what the future holds. I have no idea. All I know is thus far, I can stand up in front of you and give, I'm a living testimony of this. Thus far, at the age of 57 and, you know, three quarters or whatever, Eben, it's there. Thus far, the Lord has been my help. Even through hurricanes. And other storms of life. Where, I'm not, I'm not proud of this, but I have to tell you, there are many times I, I, I'm angry at God. Uh, and, and I call out to him. Uh, I, I, he can take the heat, by the way. You know, I, I try not to be disrespectful. Don't misunderstand. But, but, but you might as well be honest with God. He knows what you're thinking anyway, right? Who are you, who are you kidding? So there's like a million things I don't understand. Tons of things. In fact, the older I get, it's, the less I understand. All that is true. But I can tell you this, and you can't argue with me because I'm right here in front of you. Thus far, the Lord has been my help. Eben etzer. Don't you see it's the shield of faith? I don't know what tomorrow holds, but if I make it through tomorrow, I get to move the Ebenezer stone one day further. That's the shield of faith. Take it up every day. Faith isn't you know what the future is. Come on. We don't exactly. I don't know. You don't know how much time we have here on, on earth. Nobody knows that. That's not faith. That's not so stuff. Here is faith. The God who has been my rock of help thus far will be my rock of help tomorrow. Why? Because that's just what he do. That's who he is. That's his character. He's a rock and a fortress and a deliverer. That's the deal. 
So, so, so when you hear these little voices, you just lost your job, God hates you. Uh, so a loved one got a serious medical diagnosis, you're abandoned. We all feel those things. Okay, put up the shield of faith and say, no, Eben Etzer. Yeah, maybe you got to withdraw that tomorrow. I doubt it. Go one day at a time and see the mercy of God every single day. Eben Etzer. It's the shield of faith. You can extinguish the arrows of the evil one this way. So, verse 17 and then take up the helmet of salvation. See, Roman soldiers, oh, man, when they put their helmet on, they felt safe. Those of you who use helmets for different things, it gives you kind of a sense of safety. And you need it there because they fought with their minds. I mean, something happened. They, if they got a serious head injury, what are they going to do? The head controls every muscle in their body. You know, the brain says left arm, go up, right arm, go this. You know, you take orders from the brain. So, so, so this has to be protected. So they put on the helmet. And Paul says it's a helmet of salvation. Why? Because the spiritual battle we're in is a battle for our mind. Did you know that? It's a battle for our thought life. Helmet of salvation, what does that mean? It means this. What are you thinking about with regard to your salvation? Are you thinking you could lose it? Whoa! You're wide open to the evil one. The helmet of salvation means fill your mind with salvation thoughts that are biblical. Hey, listen, if you're struggling with, I think I'm going to lose my salvation, give me a call. Let's talk. Uh, if not this week, then next week. You know, give me a shot. To, to help you out there. You're not minded rightly about salvation. So you, you put on that helmet. It gives you a sense of safety. It protects your thoughts. It means, oh, I can never forfeit this. It means one day, either when I die or the Lord Jesus returns, whichever comes first, I'm going to be with him forever. It, it, it means the final consummation of the relationship is going to be fulfilled as he took care of the penalty of my sin, as he's helping me daily overcome the power of sin. In that day, the consummation of salvation, the very presence of sin will be gone. No more flesh versus spirit battle because there'll be no more flesh. Oh, man. You want to fill up your head with that stuff. And you want to say, I've lost this, I've lost that, but I'm not losing what matters most. My security is in my salvation given to me by my Savior. And he didn't just forgive my sins. Oh, come on. Forgiveness is just that. I mean, a kindly traffic cop could forgive you. What's the big deal? But God didn't just forgive us. He said, now come home with me. Now, that would be unusual if the traffic cop said, you know, don't worry about the speeding thing, and now let me adopt you into my family. But, but that, that's what God did. So you want to fill up your head with all of that kind of stuff, uh, thoughts of salvation, and then, look, no soldier worth anything would go out to battle without the sword, would he? Sword of the Spirit. Oh, it's not your sword, is it? Sword of the Spirit. Gee, I wonder what that is. Have any idea? 
Ah, the Bible tells, it's a commentary on itself. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So, so let me tell you what I think this is. A, soldier, a soldier's sword is, is not necessary. It's absolutely useless until you need it, right? I mean, when you're sitting around in camp, your sword's just hanging out somewhere. You don't need it. You need to take up the sword when you're facing your opponent. So this is what I think it means. To me, you don't have to buy this. You could be wrong. It's not just Bible study. It means sufficient exposure to the Bible as a lifestyle. That in the day of evil, when you're attacked by the evil one, God's Spirit is able to call upon a very relevant, pointed, specific verse of Scripture that you have already exposed yourself to and take it up as a sword on your behalf. So it's not just general Bible knowledge. It's when God, the Holy Spirit, calls upon God's words, which you have already put in you, to do battle with the enemy. It's no different than what the Lord Jesus did when he did battle. Remember, a long time ago we spoke about it. The enemy came at him, and three times he said, it is written. And he didn't quote scripture at random. He quoted specifically from three very relevant passages in the book of Deuteronomy that applied very pointedly to the situation. And at the end it said the enemy fled from him. Angels came to minister to him. So folks, this is just an incentive. Be regularly, be regularly immersing yourself, exposing yourself to the word of God so that in the day of battle, the Holy Spirit can call upon it and use it in a very specific way to do war against the evil one. And then verse 18, with all, can you count the number of times the word all is used in verse 18? With all, so that's number one, right? Okay, with all prayer and petition, pray at, does that be number two, at all times, in the spirit, with this in view, be on the alert with, that's a third time, with all perseverance and petition for, this is so important that we pray for one another. Why? Because we're all in the same spiritual battle. So it says, do so with all prayer and petition. That means every kind of prayer you know of. Sometimes it's praise. Sometimes it's thanksgiving. Sometimes it's intercession. Sometimes it's confession. But whatever it is, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. You can't just do this before you're getting ready to eat. You've got to be in a state of prayer at all times. And you do this in the spirit. Now, don't make more of that than it is. Folks, I'm telling you, it just means in the spirit as opposed to in the flesh. When you pray in the Spirit, you're not praying selfishly. When you pray in the Spirit, you're praying according to the will of God, as uh, you are reminded of by the Holy Spirit. Please don't make it something more mysterious than it is. That's what it means. You pray in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and be on the alert. What does that mean? You know, lately I've been trying to look around and seeing the brethren over here and trying to see, oh, boy, that guy looks really tired. Pray for him. That lady looks really sad. Pray for her. I happen to know this person is in the hospital because we have our prayer list, and so you, so you can, you can in, a, in a way, indicating alertness to the situations of our other family members, pray. Why? 
because they're in a battle and they need help. And so we have to pray, oh, God. And I usually pray, oh, God, uh, uh, this is the outcome I'd like to see. But now that I said that, would you bless the person even in the process? Would you help the person to relate to you more clearly so that they can reflect you better publicly? Oh, God, would you help the person stand firm even in the midst of all this? So we are to use all kinds of prayer, and we are to pray all the time, and we are uh, to pray with all perseverance. You don't stop. And we are to pray for all the saints, and that's one of the spiritual weapons which is given to us here in Ephesians chapter 6. Now something is, I'm going to pick up the pace. I just need a few more minutes. Something's missing here. The major attack weapon in the Roman arsenal is not in Paul's list. It's a javelin. Roman infantrymen used javelin. It was their attack weapon. Why is it not here? Okay, now you don't have to buy this either, but I think this is it. It's because we're not supposed to attack Satan. Who do you think you are? I'm not going up against him. I can't even handle my next door neighbor. <laughs> We're not supposed to attack Satan. What are we supposed to do? Verse 11, verse 13, and verse 14 told us what to do. Stand firm against him. What does that mean? I'm an army guy. I'll tell you what we're told to do in the army. Get and keep the high ground. Take that hill. The commander would give orders. Take that hill. And if we got it, he would say, keep your position at all costs. Why? Because the high ground's an advantage. My son and daughter-in-law, I have two beagles. They're just dogs. And when they romp around in our house, even they seem to know it. One jumps up on the bed or the couch to get the high ground. Folks, we already have the high ground. Oh, victory in Jesus. It's not just a musical thing. My Savior forever. We already have the high ground. We are already irreversibly, unconditionally, eternally saved. We're already okay with God. This is high ground. So what we want to do is stand firm as the enemy exhausts himself trying to get up to our high ground. I'm not going down there to him. That's why it says, leave your javelin at home. You don't attack the enemy down there. You maintain the high ground. Now, Paul, who gave us this list of weaponry, also wrote this in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Let me just read it to you real quick. Listen, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 8. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's the low ground in which you formerly walked. Low ground. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the low ground. Among the spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly, past tense, low ground, lived in the lusts of our flesh. That's the low ground. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind who were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God... Those are some powerful words. Circle it. Can you memorize it? But God. Those two words negate all that has come before. But God, being rich in mercy, that's high ground. Because of the great love with which he loved us, that's the high ground. 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Don't you see? That's high ground. And he, here it is, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. I'm not abandoning my high ground, are you? I'm not stooping to the enemy's low level. I'm not going to let him tempt me down there into the muck and mire to do some kind of crazy battle against him as if I'm his equal. I already have the high ground. I just have to stand firm. And that's what we pray for one another. Oh, God. I pray that my brother or sister in Christ, this is what we pray, stands firm, doesn't give in, doesn't cave in, doesn't give up. Oh, God, I pray that my brother is able to put on the full armor every single day. And I'm interceding for my brother or sister in Christ that they would stay on the high ground and not abandon their position. Folks, a mighty fortress is our God. I'm not leaving his high ground to do some crazy confrontation with Satan. I'm not going to do it. Martin Luther wrote that song. Did you know that? A mighty fortress is our God. Great reformer, theologian, hymn writer, Martin Luther. 1500s. 500 years later, folks, it's as relevant as it ever was. Where is John Mark? John Mark, could you come up here? Folks, I wonder if you would, uh, this is not exactly a typical Baptist song, but it it ought to be. Because the words are true. And so I wonder, could I ask you to stand to your feet uh, and stand firm as you sing this song?